This is Application Paranoia, Episode 6. So welcome again to Application Paranoia, our podcast about application security, DevSecOps, and AppScan. This is our twice-monthly discussion around technical insights, assorted facts, and the latest news from the world of HCL AppScan. I'm Colin Bell, and with me on the panel, I'm pleased to welcome again my colleagues Rob Cuddy and Chris Dior. In this week's episode, we're going to continue our discussion around continuous security, and we're going to provide an outline of the many AppScan changes in our latest releases. It is a packed episode, and we're also going to be talking to Lev Anoski from our security and research team, so that should be interesting. So anyway, um, Rob, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. So far, so good. Excited. We we found out this week that uh, our son's football camp is going to open up. So there looks like there may be high school football after all in California in the fall, which is a really good thing. So we are excited about that. Yay, football's not canceled. Exactly. <laughs> Life can go on. That is definitely a good thing. So, so what age group does he play? Is he a uh, younger age? Nope, he is a high school player. He is going to be 18 in the fall, and he is a varsity linebacker. So, wow, yeah, that's that's excellent. Very cool. And Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing uh doing great here in the Queen City. Thank you very much, <laughs> <laughs> Madge Vegas. Yeah, it turns out we're called the Queen City because we're the largest population in New Hampshire, even though we're not the capital, which is wild to me. <laughs> like, nobody wants to live in our capital. They just want to live in Manch, Vegas. I don't know why. I don't know. It's something in the water, I guess. So, Chris, I, I'm a bit concerned about you. You know, it's I, I just noticed that twice now you've talked about things which aren't there. So you talked about the man of the mountain and he's yeah. fallen down. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then... You talked about segways, yeah. yeah. And I, I just heard that they're not going to make them anymore from next July. Oh, no, so oh man, did I kill the segway uh, off? I hope not. <laughs> so, you know, I grew up in Australia. In Australia, we have names for things. Australian saying you put you put the mockers on it. <laughs> um, Sorry, segway. <laughs> wow. Or, or, or the another way of putting it is use the word moz. You know, you put the moz on it. You know. Yeah. Well, if they moved to the Queen City and didn't, you know, work in Bedford, they might still be here. <laughs> there, there you go. I don't make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I figured that, that I could dug a dip, bit deeper into Aussie things. So you know the term Barbie. You've heard that before. Of course. Barbecue. Yeah. Yep. And you are aware that self-portrait in in Aussie is a selfie. So <laughs> that's something the Aussies have given us. You know. So. Thank you, Aussies. but the other one that that they do and they do very commonly is they give people their you get aussie names about it before so someone who's called barry would become baz and then you kind of lengthen it again so you shorten it then you lengthen it so baz to baza steven steve stevo you know so so i figured i'd give you you both your australian names in in both terms so so you know my my name for example was col col collie Cosa, I've been called lots of things, but you know, and and some sometimes you would do it on the surname as well. So I've been called Bell, Belly, Belza, you know. So <laughs> there are lots of different variations. But, Very but liberal then, interpretation of names over there. <laughs> yes, I like but, but, Belly. 
Belly, belly, belly. Is, yeah. But Rob, you would be Rob or Robbo. Have you ever been called Robbo before? I, I, I have not. I've been called Bob, which is, you know, to me, that thing you tie to the end of a fishing line. But, uh, you know. Yeah, but in Australia, you would definitely be called Robbo. <laughs> and, Robbo. And, if and if they were working on your surname, you'd be called Cuds or Cudsy. Right. Yeah, that, that I've heard before. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Chris. Well, Chris is oh, a different one. So, so Chris could become Chris-O or Chris-a. You know, it still sounds, you know, oh, God, it's terrible. <laughs> I'll go with Christo, please. <laughs> yeah. Or, or Jua would become Juicy or Jua. You know, it's like... Juicy sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. But there's another there's another level of um, nickname as well that they do. And this is much more, there's a lot more thought usually goes into it. So if someone was called Beer Bottle. It, it basically means that they're empty for the neck up. <laughs> or, or you'd call someone you'd call someone pothole because they're always on the road. Or... <laughs> There's a weird <laughs> association there. I was known at one stage as Quasi because my surname's Bell. Bell Toller is Quasimodo, so they called me Quasi. It's like... <laughs> that, that's a loose association. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, it's, it's loose, it's loose, but, but we, we can go a bit further and we can try it on your names, right? So, so Cuddy, uh -huh. right? So what's a Cuddy? Uh, a Cuddy is a small room or a cupboard, yeah? There you go. So who lives in a small room or a, cu a cupboard? Harry Potter. So you, you would definitely be called Potter. <laughs> Potter. That's all I'm calling you from now on. Potter. There you go. It's, it's better than beer bottle. <laughs> and and Jewer, right? So a Jewer is some a person who's due payment, yeah? A creditor, a debt oh, collector. Damn. You see where this is going? Oh, I got the short end of the stick. The, the best nickname ever, Shylock. So Shylock is from the Merchant of Venice, you know, so you would definitely be called Shylock in Australia. Whoever would like to be referred to as Shylock, please. Wow. wow. So we've got Shylock, Potter, and Quasi. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I, I win I... that one. <laughs> Name lottery for once. So do you have any fun facts for us? Yeah, I got a couple, actually, which are kind of cool. Um, you know, I'm in California, by the way, so we're not... Uh, we're not as exciting as we say making the segue, but we do have the. Which isn't getting made anymore. Yeah, we have the fun fact. Uh, blue jeans actually started in California, but the thing I think is really interesting in in our state. Um, our state is known for a lot of division between the north and the south, uh, northern California, southern California, right? Gigantic differences. But at the midpoint of the state, they actually planted a palm tree and a pine tree next to one another to signify the north and south trying to come together. So I thought that was fascinating and interesting. But they also have a lot of weird laws. And there's a little town called Blythe, which we actually drive through every once in a while when we're on our way to Arizona. It's right on the border of uh, California and Arizona. But in that town, it is actually illegal to wear cowboy boots unless you own a minimum of two cows. And so if you have two cows, you can wear cowboy you boots. You can wear cowboy boots. If you have three, you're fine. If you have one... Can you imagine being the one who has to enforce it? No way. Yeah. <laughs> Sir, you only have one cow. You have to take those shoes off. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe you just wear one boot. I'm not sure, but... <laughs> oh. uh, but That's very good. I thought that was fascinating. So in Upscan News, I guess what's really exciting is that all of our releases have come out for 10-0-1. 
And even though we spoke about, well, we spoke about AppScan standard and what was in their release a couple of weeks ago. So we can, we could probably skip that, but I, I guess let's start at the top and talk a little bit about AppScan source. So Chris, there's, there's some really good things in here. Um, there's, there's a couple that get me excited anyway, just maybe the highlights from the AppScan source. Yeah. Release yeah, we, uh, as, as it's about to come out. We're pretty excited about some of the things that it has to offer, specifically the AppScan Delta command, which for those of folks yeah. out there that have been using the IFA server, the Delta command was, I think, the most used feature on that server, but it allows you to figure out what findings are new versus missing when you compare it to assessments instead of the diff mechanism we have today. So it's really nice. You can just, just do the Delta and send that sucker off to whoever needs to look at it instead of sending them the entire giant assessment every single time. So that's a hopefully a huge quality of life improvement for a lot of folks. We've sort of done a lot of work with customers to make the Delta a very integral part of the, you know, the, the DevOps piece. So once you integrate it into a build cycle, it's the Delta that we work with. So it's, it's really important to have that. Yeah, in. Big deal. And now it's built in, it's, it's going to be so much easier yeah. to, to integrate that. So, so that's kind of cool. And also um, for, for us anyway, language support is a big deal on static analysis. And we're kind of chock full of languages this release, four languages. React JS, Scala, wow. Kotlin, and Swift. It's, it's nutty how many we were able to get through. Which ones would be the ones would you think would get the biggest uptake of those? Probably React, I'm guessing. Um, it could be Scala too. Yeah. Kotlin and Swift are, are mobile languages. And mm -hmm. uh, as, as much as I hate to say it, it doesn't seem like a lot of folks are scanning mobile languages these days. Uh, I'd like them to scan them more because it's kind of a big deal. It's basically your client side web page that. Folks just say, well, it's like a web page. I don't care about it. But yeah, it's it's the same thing. You need to worry. You really need to see what's yeah. under the covers in your mobile apps that are out there. And so yeah, Kotlin and Swift. Pretty cool. If we move on from, I guess, AppScan source, we talk about AppScan Enterprise. There's some interesting things in that as well, is it not, Chris? Yeah, the action-based explorer is, is much better now, which is an important thing because that's how you get all the, the pages that you want to look at. And the issue consolidation, yeah. I think, is going to be a huge quality of life improvement for um, DAST users, where it's a little bit a little bit like fixed groups for the SaaS world, but not really, um, where they consolidate all of the variants that a particular issue might be into one pile of stuff to look at. So you're not trying to find those commonalities. It's trying to find those commonalities for you. Pretty big deal. There's, there's definitely going to be like the AppScan, AppScan Tuesday or AppScan Live, yeah. mm -hmm. um, which is... Obviously, tomorrow, they're going to do a special on a lot of these releases. So you'll probably get to see some of the, those changes in action. I think all the our PMs will be talking about some of those. Yeah, but, right. but beyond that, and we did talk about AppScan Standard um, a couple of weeks ago, so we don't need to go into that again. But just on ASOC, there's, I noticed there's a couple of things that have gone on. No, but there was a release yesterday, and there was one last week as well. So last week seemed to have some new language support as well. Yeah. Do you know anything about yeah, that? Yeah, we added support for Groovy, um, which is pretty good. Uh, Groovy basically is, you know, a scripting language to a point, but JVM compatible. Yeah. Kind of nice to have support for that added in. Um, and in PHP framework, Symfony, which turns out is pretty popular out there these days. Uh, so we have support for both of those things added, which is, you know, language support is the bread and butter of a SAST engine, and we're just making it bigger and better. There were some changes to IAST as well, was there, or is it just just continuous improvements on that? It looks like it's just a continuous improvements for the IAST agent. Um, I mean, it's a pretty new technology to begin with, but 
with any new technology, you got to make it better as you go along and you see different ways to do things, you know, quicker, faster, better, more sensible, however you want to call it. And this time it looks like it's just a bunch of quality of life improvements for the users of it, which is always a good thing. Yeah. Simplification is, is a big part, right? Making it easier. I think the other thing too, with the IS one that I thought was interesting is, is calling a monitoring session. So it kind of indicates a little yeah. bit better what it's actually doing yeah. and giving you that sense that it's running, you know, in the background. So uh, to me, I think that's a really good thing. But the cool thing about all of these, right, that we just talked about is, is this whole notion of consolidation to make it easier to get to what you're looking for. Each one of these was getting down into better reporting, better information, quicker validation, seeing what you're really after. Um, so there's so much of an effort going on in that space to, I think, get people the right information at the right time in the right context. And that always makes things so much better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally agree. It goes into totally that agree. final phase of fixing the dang thing instead of just getting the checkbox. Oh, I found it. And there will be some that think the language support for Symphony is music to their ears. Yeah. And there's there your horrible pun for the day. Oh, oh dear. Did I'm bum. Well, he's here all episode. <laughs> Damn it, Potter. <laughs> I, I guess we were going to continue our discussion. In this segment, we're going to continue our discussion on continuous security. We did a webinar on this a few weeks back. Myself and Rob also presented this at, a, at an OWASP chapter just recently as well. So this seems to be resonating quite well with who we have presented it to. But we, we talked in the first, the first week or last week or last session, we talked about the first piece of that, which was the, the, around the build and around the um, design phase. But now we go move on to the next main segment, which is where we talk about intensifying the program. So intensify, we want to magnify the effort and the impact and the change the way that we're the culture and try and improve. So there's there's two main pieces to that, um, and that's educate and governance. So I don't know, Rob, if you want to maybe kick off and then, you know, talk about what, what's important in both of those. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, I'm very passionate about the education piece. And if you've listened to our continuous security webinar, you'd know that, that and, uh, kind of what we've done here, but really it's about helping people do application security better. And we look at it from two different sides, right? Those that are already in it around how do they understand how things are working? How do they do secure coding better? How do they get the feedback that they need? So we talk about things like security champions. We talk about building a culture uh, for education, a blameless, you know, area, right? And people learning. And, and there are things uh, like getting involved in threat modeling and using escalation of privilege as a card game, some of those kinds of things to help do that. Um, and then there's also the piece of folks who want to get into the space. So those who are looking for entry-level positions in cybersecurity and struggling because they don't have the three to five years of experience or the CISSP certification or any number of other requirements that HR teams love to, to put on that. So there's a whole effort going on now to think through how do we offer that? How do we make it so that people can get into the space and get experience and be able to grow um, and then translate that into a career path for cybersecurity? And so there's a lot of fascinating things going on in there. But when we talk about continuous security, this bit about learning and feedback and how we do that is just so vital to, uh, to how it operates. Uh, yeah, for me, education is probably the most important thing. 
you can buy the fanciest you know car in the world if you don't know how to drive it you're not going anywhere you really need to get your people up to speed with what secure coding is what it looks like i mean there's whole books written on the topic just security in general thinking like someone who wants to break in and use your code to their advantage it's a whole different way of thinking about how you code and how you look at different entry points and exit points it's just not something that's taught in school these days it's something you're going to have to teach your people. Yeah, no, it's it's and it's it's on a number of layers as well. So it's it's educating people on how to do secure coding at one end, and then it's also educating on how to do tooling and you know what to look for. So it's, there's there's a number of different facets to it. So it's it's interesting. And and the other the other piece, I guess, is the governance piece, which you know, for me is often the place where it starts. You know, we we start with some level of governance. Right, and it's not just about putting the policy in place for the sake of having a policy, right? It's really getting into the space of understanding why we're doing what we're doing and, mm. and what we're trying to accomplish, right? Because otherwise we just end up creating more noise. And, and it's a really fascinating thing going on now where, you know, we want controls that, that sort of fit with how people work because if we don't have them, they'll find a way to get around them. Right. We're all familiar with things like shadow IT or people doing end arounds on a process. And so when we start talking about governance, we really have to start thinking about, well, what's the outcome we're looking for and, and what is it that we really care about and how do we get that? So when we start by measuring an outcome instead of just, you know, measuring behavior and slapping people on the fingers with a ruler and stuff like that. Um, and making policies for the sake of, well, somebody else over here implemented this policy, so we should, too. Um, but really understanding how those things are working together to get us the outcome that we're looking for um, and the decisions around it. So it's it's really like I think what you said, we need to be thinking about that early and often. And it should be mm -hmm. influencing, you know, what we talked about in our last podcast, right? The design and the automation pieces that, that governance flows into how we do those things. Yeah, I think, I mean, governance, PCI, HIPAA, GDPR, all that stuff are great, great starting points. <laughs> <laughs> like you yeah. want to begin here. You shouldn't end here. And they certainly help you kind of open your, your mind's eye to what the art of the possible is out there in the really real world. Because we're not all hackers. We don't know all the ins and outs of what people do and how they go after you. But these standards have done some of the work for you. They know what some of the people do. And they say, this is what you need to worry about. This is how you need it's to worry about point. it. And it really is just a starting point. This is this is literally not the bar. It's is this is what you need to do. This is table stakes. And table stakes is not the complete meal. You still need dessert. You still need, you know, the frosting <laughs> on top, whatever you want to call it. You need the extra mile if you really care about your, your, you know, consumers or your people or whoever it is you're servicing for your product. You really need to worry about governance as a starting point, not the end game. It is my pleasure and honor to introduce our guest speaker this week, Lev Aronsky. Uh, Lev is one of our main researchers for a group we call Aleph Research. So, Lev, what is Aleph Research exactly? Well, it's basically an R&D team in HCL AppScan. And uh, the team has actually three kinds of responsibilities. First of all, uh, we try to innovate and research new technologies and come up with uh, ideas for new products. And uh, second of all, we perform some uh, 
general purpose uh, vulnerability research. So we actually take all kinds of uh, products and try to find uh, vulnerabilities in them. And once we do, we inform the vendor and make sure that those uh, vulnerabilities get fixed. And we're also responsible for the security logic of the products at HCL AppScan. All right, cool. Um, what um, what products have you guys, quote unquote, invented that's come out of uh, Olive Research? Well, uh, for example, Mobile Analyzer. Huh. The, yeah, that the Y'all's brainchild. <laughs> oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it came, it was an idea that came up in Aleph Research and uh, a POC was developed and then the actual uh, development team was recruited and, and the product was developed further. And oh. uh, the, actually, an even uh, more uh, up-to-date example is uh, the new engine that uses instrumentation in Java and .NET. It's something that uh, came out, again, from our team. And now there is a new development team that's uh, working on making it an actual product. When you say um, security flaws or whatever the, the case may be when you go and you try to break into other folks' code and their, all their programs, um, what's, a, what's yeah. a big win that you got from that, something that you were able to, to help them out with? Well, there have been uh, uh, several incidents where uh, I found some privilege escalations where you can act uh, actually take your low privileges as a really limited user and get all the way to the, to the kernel. And... Uh, get your code, do everything you want on the machine. I can't, uh, unfortunately, I can't disclose uh, <laughs> which products those were uh, <laughs> because of NDAs, but uh, yeah, that was uh, some interesting stuff. It's a little scary. <laughs> so you mentioned the Aleph research. What does Aleph actually mean? Well, it's uh, the first uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Ah, okay. So. It, we, we chose that name to designate us as the leaders in the subject of uh, security research. Okay. And so we, we try to lead and uh, to innovate all the time. So when you talk about security, right, we, we get a yeah. lot of color in there, right? We hear things like red team and blue team and, and white security and stuff like that. So what, what would Aleph research, uh, research be considered? And, and how do you see those teams benefiting from what you do? I wouldn't consider Aleph as either a red team or a blue team. We're something else. I'm not sure color-wise. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, for example, red teams should always strive to use the most recent vulnerabilities to make sure that their attacks are always up to date. And so, as Aleph Research, we strive to provide those vulnerabilities and proof of concept that red teams might be able to use in their attacks. So your team red. <laughs> I was going to say, um, one of the things that a lot of people hear a lot about in the news and the, in the world out there is hackers are bad or hackers this, hackers that. And there are differences between, you know, a quote unquote good hacker and a quote unquote not so good hacker. Um, so could you um, help us try to understand a little bit? Um, and the colloquial term for that, of course, is white hat and black hat. Uh, mm -hmm. but could you help us understand a little bit about what the difference is between those two uh, folks and, and what their motivations might be? And I think the term ethical hacking comes into play here too, right? Yeah, that's basically what uh, white hackers call themselves. The, the truth is the main, the main difference is what's the purpose of the hacker, okay? So black, black hat hackers usually want uh, to gain uh, money or just do it out of pure maliciousness. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, on the other hand, 
whitehead hackers uh, want to improve the security of the world. So whenever they find a flaw, they actually inform the vendor so that the vendor can fix it. A black hat hacker could, for instance, ask for ransom. While on the other hand, uh, the whitehead hacker will actually help to fix the flaw. <laughs> the irony is but, they still but, get paid, right? White hats? <laughs> they're, at least from sometimes. what I've seen, yeah, bug bounties yeah. are a big deal. There are bug bounties, yeah. Definitely. Have you ever had resistance or reluctance to receive one of your disclosures to a company out there? And if so, how do you overcome that? Well, it really depends on the company because some companies are more open to it and some companies uh, try to resist. They might try to downplay the criticality of the flaw or sometimes they fix it and uh, the fix isn't good enough. And they still say, oh, no, 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 we're done. We, we fixed it. Everything is all right. It really depends on the company. As an ethical hacker, it's your responsibility to actually make sure that the fix works. And even if the company is not cooperating enough, you have to keep telling them that something is wrong. But eventually, if, if that doesn't work, you just have to publish it and that's it. Oh, wow. and do, 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 com do companies sometimes dispute that you actually have a vulnerability? Yes, I've had that happen. Okay. And, and, and your, your approach is just to publish it regardless, is it? Or, or do you eventually, sort of yeah. I attempt to actually explain them why they're wrong, but, uh, if there's nobody to talk to because, uh, they aren't listening, then eventually I just publish it. Wow. Mm. I remember reading because... a story once about a guy who, uh, who got a bug bounty for flaw one, they fought back and said, no, 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 this isn't a flaw. So he fixes it. And he gets paid for it. And then it turns out there was an additional flaw underneath it because they put the fix in wrong. So we got paid twice for the same security bug. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. man. This is what happens nice. when you don't listen, folks. Yes. <laughs> These people know what they're talking about. Yeah. So so on that thread, Lev, I'm curious, what are some of the more like surprising sort of unexpected things that you found, you know, along the journey uh, in your research? Well, that's a good question, but I really can't go into details here because once <laughs> okay. again, those, those were uh, <laughs> contracts under NDA, but I really ran into some bizarre logic products, including security products, by the way, mm. I've seen some security products that run at the highest levels of privilege. And eventually you, you can actually get to some certain places in their code without any authorization at all. It, it was pre pretty wild. Like, mm. uh, those are the guys that are supposed to know what they're doing. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Maybe I could ask it this way then, because um, I could appreciate that. You know, what you've done a lot of research, seen a lot of different things. So maybe what is it that you wish people would do more of that they're not doing today? Or what should they be doing that they may not be doing? Frankly, uh, I think the, ma the main issue is uh, people. We, we all uh, try and make products more secure and it's working. It actually is working and uh, products do become better at security. In, in the end, if the end user is not educated enough about security, nothing is going to help. What we can do better is to educate end users about security and how to tell uh, bad stuff from good stuff. I'm really curious how you decide, because it's research and it's it, lots of different angles, how do you actually decide what you're going to do next, you know, and you, know, do you sort of have a list of things that you're going to attack or are you, uh, as Chris said, are you going after bounties or how does that work? Sometimes we have 
ideas of stuff that's interesting to us that we just write down and uh, save it for later. Mm-hmm. And uh, in general, we try to find a combination of, of products that on the one hand uh, are widely used because it's important to us that uh, whatever we find has an actual impact. And if a product uh, is uh, very esoteric, then it's not going to have a lot of impact in the world. So we try to look at products that are widespread on the one hand and that are interesting to us, to the people that actually perform the research on the other hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the people in the team, they're interested in different things. W- one can be more interested in uh, performing low-level research in uh, IoT devices and another wants to do some application research. And we, we try to find the common... Uh, like something that's both uh, widespread and is interesting to, to the team member that does the actual research. Why are SQL injections still a thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are they still a thing? <laughs> well, can, but they're ask... less of a thing now, right? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, you could say the same thing about cross-site scripting. Oh, That's been around for a really long time. It's true, um... but it, it, it is getting a little bit under control. Mm-hmm. I remember back in the day when you attacked SQL servers, Microsoft SQL servers, you could actually execute code on it. Yeah. As far fun. as I'm aware, it's, it, it's, not, it's not on by default anymore. Uh, that <laughs> as far as I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> not known to, to not work. Gets his bug bounties. <laughs> So how are uh, how are security in the API management space? We're seeing so much stuff with kind of device connections. You mentioned IoT a minute ago. How is the research happening in in that? Has that kind of made this easier, or is it more difficult now that the that so many things are using APIs these days? I'm not sure that it changed anything uh, by a huge margin, because uh, it really depends. If the API is published, it helps a little bit. And if it isn't, you have to, you have to actually find a way to disclose it. But other than that, uh, the attacks you perform are still pretty similar. Do you see any anything new risks that, that arise from the fact that people are now doing more containerization and things like that? Does that make things more secure in your view, or does it make does it open up other opportunities? That's a good question. In a way, it does make things more secure because, at the very least, it protects the rest of the software, like like if, if there is a, a vulnerability in a product that runs in a container, then it's limited to that container in theory. Right. On the other hand, we are at risk of uh, t- taking that sense of security and trusting it too much. Yeah. And, and then not, not, not actually performing all the security routines that we usually do. And then if something if a vulnerability comes up that allows you to jump across containers, then suddenly it becomes easier. No, I was curious. Um, so with the pandemic, has anything changed uh, in your research or anything interesting that's come out with this, you know, during this whole COVID time and so many more people being at home? Well, uh, for us, uh, it hasn't changed pretty much anything, I'd say. If I'm looking at the security world at large, first of all, uh, uh, there is a lot more research going on uh, video conferencing. <laughs> uh, I, I, I guess you've, you've all seen the uh, vulnerabilities <laughs> found in Zoom and stuff like that. But I think that's actually just a fad. And uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stop uh, pretty soon. Also, 
it seems like quite a few companies uh, are tightening their budgets. And one of the things uh, that they're spending less on is security. Hmm. I've, I've actually uh, heard firsthand of startup companies that have had their deals dropped because of the pandemic. Like, uh, and I think that's a mistake. Uh, and, and, I, and I think we're going to feel it in the, in the medium long term. If, if that's actually happening now, it's going to come back. Yeah, yeah, security is your oil changes. What happens if you yeah. don't get your oil change, people? Yes. <laughs> well, look, Lev, it's it's been an absolute pleasure for us having you on on our podcast. You know, thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you, thank you awesome. so much, Lev. So anyway, thank you for listening to another episode of Application Paranoia. Thanks, Rob. Great, great to be with and, you guys. And thanks, Chris. Shylock. Until next time. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Potter. <laughs> thanks, Thank you, Quasi. Yes, thank yeah. you, Quasi. <laughs>